Welcome to episode 233 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael, and with me today are Jill and Ryan. And on this week's episode of DL, we're going to take, we're going to make Pipewire face the music. And what that means... Michael, no. No. Bad what you, Michael. No, okay. Post on your stool, you're in timeout. That's a bad pun. <laughs> okay, it's not... Okay, just to be clear, the face the music part relates to that we're going to be discussing whether or not Pipewire is ready for the masses. And I think that pun totally works. In so many ways, actually. Because it plays music... It's related to like the, the actual freight. Anyway, later in the show, we're bringing back a fan favorite segment. That's right. Jill is going to be pulling out another gem from her computer vault in Jill's treasure hunt. <laughs> Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. We have a quick reminder for you. Next Sunday, the DLN Extended After Show is happening. So right after DL on July 11th, we're extending the After Show to everyone. Every week, we have a patron-only post show where we hang out with patrons. And next week, we're going to be opening it up to all of you. So everyone is invited to join us next Sunday, July 11th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time or 1900 UTC for the DLN Community Hangout. Maybe you, you, if you can't make it next week, though, that's all right, because we have another event planned the next month. Mark your calendars for Sunday, August 22nd, because 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 1900 UTC, we're also going to be having a huge Lugfest slash Gamefest. That's right, we're bringing, bringing back the Gamefest and combining it with a Lugfest event to make a mega event. And this is to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Linux kernel. We can't wait to hang out with all of you, so mark your calendars, and we'll see you then. Uh, hey everybody! This is this is uh, Michael from the editing section of the show. We're going to let you know that Ryan's microphone was a little bit off in the beginning of this episode because of some technical issues, but he fixed it later in the show, so it will be much better towards the end of the show. So you, you'll notice the difference quite easily. So we just want to make sure that's clear before we get into and the. It wasn't rest of the Pipewire's show. fault. And it wasn't Pipewire's exactly. fault. Exactly. Very important it to was say a that. XLR bad cable. XLR cable. That's right. <laughs> So we punished it, and it's in timeout. Yes. So this week in our community feedback, we get a message saying, Hello, I've recently started listening to the podcast. I'm finding lots of good information on it. There are two security issues I've never heard mentioned on any podcast. So we're going to be the first here, which is pretty nice. We get this exclusive. Oh, yeah. When you, mm -hmm. when you open a link, do you ever look at the address first? I copy them and open them in a text editor. If there's a question mark in it, unless it's a search. You cross site. Tr uh, you have cross site tracking. I delete the question mark and everything after it. The same site comes up. The second one is what is being transferred by your browser. Search for any IP address sites. When you open them, it tells you your IP address in your browser OS and its version. I've even seen screen size mentioned. Why is this being sent out with the browsers? I've seen this with Firefox and Safari. And then there's another question here, but I want to stop with this section. Because, Michael, I think this is something you would know the most about. But generally, as I understand, the screen size is very important for websites to be able to auto-adapt the site to the screen size you're using so that the web page doesn't look too big, too small, doesn't fit, that type of thing. So yes. it's, kind of, it's, it's not really a privacy thing. It's kind of a normal thing to check so that the site can be dynamic. Right. So it's basically doing these uh, called a user agent where it sends some data to the website to you know, tell it 
what it can, you know, it, it does say like what operating system, what browser it's using, and also the screen size. But it's mostly uh, that that's not as, as as common anymore because of the responsive design concept, which basically means that your design is going to adjust itself no matter what the size is. So the specific size is more of like a guide of what to what's like range of the responsiveness to send. So it's it's using basically the width and only the width that really matters of you know trying to decide which one to send you. And in terms of the uh, the comment about the URL thing, that's interesting because the URLs uh, have you know there's a question mark is basically the URL parameter opener. And anything after that will have like you know uh, a parameter name and then an equal sign and then the value. So the point of this is many facets. Sometimes it's tracking, as in tracking you know where someone is coming from. But that that happens anyway with a redirect system. So you can't stop the redirect from happening unless the website itself will add a trigger to the event to stop redirect information. But uh, which is common, but not everywhere. But at the but the most the commonly used is information for analytics value as well as like the biggest one is affiliate marketing so when you go to any website that has an affiliate link attached to it it will be through that question mark parameters equals thing it's not necessarily a bad thing there are some cases where some people will try to you know cram in javascript inside of those but if you see any kind of code then that's that's problematic but the uh, question mark itself is not necessarily a big deal, and in a lot of ways, it's 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 valuable to have because you can you know use it to manipulate the content on the website through these variables, which is the most commonly used purpose for it. But the most commonly seen is the affiliate link stuff. So I would say that the vast majority of the time, you're probably it's probably not a big deal. Sometimes though, it could be. So you, I like it's fine solution. that you want to check it. I like his solution of taking the links and pasting them into a text editor first. If you're yeah. looking at a link mm-hmm. in forums, I think that's a really good idea. Uh, the other thing I like to tell people is do not click any links in your email. And I know a lot of people have heard that, but not everyone yet. So I just want to mention it. If you get an email, it's from a bank, it's mm-hmm. from anything, just type the site itself into your browser manually and yep. log into your account and look for the message or settings or whatever the email is there to alert you with. But you can avoid a lot of problems just not clicking links in your email yeah absolutely there's actually a lot of uh, factors here that are you know you can do the whole taking the thing and putting in a notepad and that's that's a really good way of doing it because you can verify for sure but you can also depending on the application you can hover over the link and it will in some corner of the screen show you what the url is actually going to take you to this is kind of also there's there's some browsers that have bugs where that that's not 100 percent accurate but for the most part it is typically accurate so that you can hover over and it will show you like what the URL is supposed to be. So you could see what the text says it is and then reference it, what it is actually in the little hover. Uh, and every browser does this. And sometimes it's in the bottom left, bottom right, or top, you know, corners and stuff, but most of the time it's in the bottom, but you know, depending on the browser, it could be somewhere else, but it is definitely something worth checking out because uh, you always want to, you know, hover over that to make sure that the link is a, a genuine link. If, if you don't already trust the website you're going to, now, you know, in email, that's a good point. If you, I think it's very common that most email clients these days have the same thing, except they kind of pop up a little hover next to it as long as you leave your mouse on the link for like a second or two. So in that case, do that because you, all, you definitely want to make sure that the link is where you're expecting it to be. And also, I actually, 
while that's true and you can do that, I still I still agree with Ryan. You could just type in the link that you want most of the time, you know, instead of clicking the email. So as, as long as you don't have to click the email link, I, I, mm-hmm. I would suggest not doing so unless it's like a, you know, it's a sign in verification link that you have no choice. Then in that case, uh, you know, copy and paste it to make sure it's the right one and paste it into the browser instead. That's a good example. I didn't think of yeah, with the verifications The the second part of Rob's question is I would like to get a part time programming job. I have a degree in electrical electronic engineering, and I enjoy making things in the programs to make them work. My experience is in electrical maintenance. I've taught myself Python, Arduino, Visual Basic. I have experience with C, C++, JavaScript, and Ellen Bradley PLCs. Currently studying Bash and Linux. Since I don't have the skill set most places are looking for, how would I go about getting work, or is it even possible? My suggestion is, number one, yes, I think it's 100% possible. Number two, you're looking for part-time work uh, out there, but I still think the advice we give to many people on this show and the advice I'll tell you being in corporate America for 22 years, it's about your network. You've got to build a network. And the great thing about open source is you have the ability to build a network easier than any other project out there, I think. Oh, yeah. In that you can get involved with your programming Mm -hmm. skills You can work with other highly skilled developers and programmers. You can hone your skills by working with them on a project you like. Pick an open source project you love. Could be a distro, could be something on the back end, and get involved in that project. And then through there, you're going to start building a network. As you're talking to them, don't start out with, oh my gosh, I need a job, and that be your only motivation, but get to know them and then start building your network out. And and sure enough, I think you're going to find a place there. The other thing is it's great. You have all of these different programming skills, but I would hone in on the one you really like and really enjoy and become an expert in that one thing versus kind of having a really broad stroke of languages. That would be my personal advice. Jill, what do you think? I, when I was reading this, my initial thought is, well, Rob, you have, you're so diversified. You actually know software and hardware, and that's really needed in the open source community um, in software development. So the fact that you understand, you know, the hardware workings and software together is a big deal. And that will will put you actually a step above other people who are just software, just hardware. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting that you're making these points. There's 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 actually also some people who have reported that the deal in forum has allowed them to get a job, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so if you <laughs> want to join the forum, there's uh, there's p- people who post, you know, job, uh, you know, availability and that sort of stuff there. And also, as just real quick, uh, you both gave a lot of great advice. So I decided I I think I should just give a cliche. As Ryan was talking about, it's the the networking factor. It's not Mm -hmm. what you know. It's who you know. Who you know. (laughs) It really and sadly is the truest thing out there. And I tell people all the time because right (laughs) now, if a job is posted, there are thousands of people applying to it. That it's very difficult to weed out applications. So one of the first things they do is look at education, right? As a way of weeding down the thousands of applicants, thousands of jobs and things out there. So if you don't have that education that's going to get their attention, the bachelors, the masters that they're looking for, whatever, then your next best option is you've got to have a network so that people who know your skill and want to bring you in because they know you. And that's going to be the best way for you to, to get that job, in my opinion. So we love your emails like this. It makes us think, it makes us consider the possibilities out there, what's going on in the community, 
also give great security advice like Rob did here. We love hearing from our worldwide community and we want you to get your official deal in mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down in your nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Or if you want to be a part of the community, you want to start building your network in the Destination Linux community, you can do that at the DLN forum at dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBoss, as I like to call it. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle all the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB's document database as they become available. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. And be sure if you if you're familiar with this podcast before and you've watched our you know the the sponsorships prior, this is a different URL. So make making sure to type it in for do.co slash dln dash mongo to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So, so this week, Michael, I wanted to talk about. Pipewire. And it's really funny because you may notice I'm on this terrible <laughs> microphone. Which is uh, a little bit ironic. <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit ironic. I have two backups. I have my main Rode Procaster mic. I have my Blue Yeti mic. Both failed. So now I have this terrible option as a third one, which is hilarious that we're doing an audio segment here with that. But Audio on Linux has long needed an overhaul. This is something, if you go way back to any rants that I've had about Linux, the things that I would love to see changed, audio was at the very top. And most people probably don't notice that audio is an issue in Linux at all. In fact, you plug in your headphones, you expect sound, you get sound, you plug in your speakers, I guess unless you're me and none of your mics work, but everybody else <laughs> has nothing to do with Linux. You plug in your speakers, you expect sound, you plug in your mic, mm -hmm. you expect to be able to input sound and things work normally. But once you get into what I call prosumer or even pro equipment is where Pulse Audio starts to fall apart. Um, there was a issue that with the Scarlett 2i2, for instance, that I was using that forever. And when I would plug that interface in, if anything else opened a channel with the Scarlett 2i2 and Pulse Audio, and it didn't matter what distro we're talking about here, it would create this horrible echo or distortion in the audio that I heard. And this was constant to the point where I finally dug in and realized that it was setting the wrong initial settings for this input device, right? It was running at the wrong hertz, wrong channels it was grabbing. And so I would, wrote a script to manually fix that. And these are things that you don't expect to have to deal with in an operating system. Someone's getting into producing music, doing podcasts, or doing anything that's prosumer or pro level is where Pulse Audio falls apart for me. But... Thankfully, there's this solution out there. And if you're on Fedora 34 right now, you're actually mm -hmm. already using that solution. If you're on Garuda Linux, it's one click away to use yes. that solution, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And that's Pipewire. So, Michael, let's start with this. Tell us about Pipewire in so, your mind. 
So Pipewire is a really awesome sound server kind of replacement for the current setups that we have for audio. And that is not only just a replacement for Pulse, but also a replacement for uh, Jack and even some video elements to it as well. Pipewire is awesome. So with I, I switched to Fedora, and when they announced that they were going to be doing Pipewire, I was super excited because I, I just couldn't wait to try all the different intricacies of like you could do with the Jack stuff. For example, with uh, you can use uh, Pabu Control and Carla and QJack Control and all this stuff with uh, with Pipewire and not having to have Jack installed. So you get all the benefits in theory with Jack that you can uh, on Pipewire. And that is such a really awesome thing for the pro level user. And there's so many great pieces of of, of Pipewire that you know you can have support for uh, containers like in a flat pack, whereas other audio servers don't necessarily have the very good connection to that. Also better support on Wayland and so many more things, including I think the most important with, with in addition to the jack configurations of like QJack control and that sort of stuff, like you know, connecting one input device and another output device and making a whole new thing, all that stuff you can do in Jack is available in uh, Pipewire as well, but also the low latency aspects of it. Now, the, what's super interesting is that Pipewire has this ability to go from like automatically detect on like what application is trying to use it, uh, what kind of hardware is trying to use it, and choose between the more advanced stuff with having low latency uh, pullback and also having uh, the other applications that are much more, uh, you know, consumer levels kind of applications and not pushing in the low latency stuff and it just adjusts itself to that which is so awesome like that is yeah. such a cool <laughs> feature of pipewire they it, it's essentially a hands-off prosumer pro user type of interface and when i first heard it was being made i was like okay well w whenever it happens I, I, i'll look forward to it but the fact <laughs> that it's it's not been that long and it's already as good as it is it is like crazy cool and i i am such a fan of it and i've been using it since they they announced it on fedora 34 and it has been fantastic on specifically fedora 34 oh and michael that's so much better than using classic jack which i am using uh it you know with classic jack you have to use the low latency kernel you have to set up your system to be you know the cpu to uh, governor to performance mode. There's so many settings you have to do just to get Jack installed properly. And then on top of that, there's the learning curve with Jack of, of connecting all your devices, your inputs and your yeah. outputs. And it can be very complex, especially for people who, you know, are, are, are new to Linux and, and new to professional audio at all it's sure. it, it can be very complex so that's a it's, thing it's definitely interesting like and also the when we were talking about it earlier you mentioned that you use jack and that's really interesting because you, you pointed out how jack is kind of a, a pain to get started with uh it's yeah. it's difficult to install it's difficult yeah. to get past the barrier to entry as far as like how everything works now when it comes to like doing all the intricate stuff that you can do in pipewire it's kind of similar in terms mm -hmm. of like QJack control is going to, or Carla or any of those things. Yeah, Cadence it's still and the whatnot. same interface. Yeah, it's still the <laughs> yeah. same kind of experience regardless of which one you pick. It's just you don't yeah. have to set up Jack prior to doing those things inside of yeah. Pipewire. But it's also <laughs> worth noting that it's using the APIs 
for these types of applications. So you, it doesn't, it, you don't have to worry about like having an application built for Pipewire because it's using the Jack API or the Pulse API in order to make it work. And that's what makes Pipewire so awesome is because you don't have, it doesn't have to be rebuilt for this interface. I think yes. that's such an important, <laughs> well <said. laughs> yeah. I think that's such an important point because a lot of times when you're replacing something as big as the sound uh, servers within Linux, right? You, your fear is that it's going to break everything. And this is going to be a major issue with compatibility and bugs and all of these things. But what was fascinating to me about Pipewire is when I went to Fedora 34, I didn't even remember Pipewire was a thing. We did a show, I think, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm on Pipewire. Like I <laughs> didn't even know because it's that it's that seamless. And what you're saying about the GUIs and APIs that work on top of it, it's the same. It looks the same. You can use the same stuff mm -hmm. in many times that you're already used to. So from a user standpoint who just wants to plug in their speakers, wants to plug in their mics, they're not going to see any difference. The key is that now those people who, you know, doing live audio and creating music and those things is really popular. And now we have a solution that's not painful to get set up and started in for those people right out of the box with the low latency built in. And it's still on top of ULSA. So this doesn't replace ULSA. This just, because ULSA still interfaces at the hardware level yeah. or Pipewire. Mm -hmm. So ULSA still there. It's just a really well done solution in my mind. And my question to you is Garuda, it's one click away. Fedora has already moved to it. Why isn't this a thing with every distro now? Well, that's mm -hmm. a great question. I don't know. But it's kind of interesting that it isn't because Pipewire is so good, but maybe it's because they feel like it's an early stages kind of thing, but it isn't actually in an early stages anymore. It's a pretty like full-blown, like well-maintained system. And I, I think that it's something that a lot of distros should consider. And in fact, I think that it's important and very important as fast as possible that more distros consider it because of something that I noticed recently. So yesterday, on Twill, I talked about Pipewire's latest version and the different things that comes with it and that sort of stuff. And I also mentioned that we're going to talk about it much more in depth on this podcast because I think that there, there's a kind of a misinformation being spread around Pipewire. And it's interesting because it happened the exact same thing with Pulse Audio. So for a long time, Pulse Audio has been in like a punching bag of sorts. I mean, you've probably heard people make fun of it saying it's broken or unusable or all sorts of stuff, right? And it's not either of those. It's and also it's been working quite well, and it's been the sta like the standard sound server used for most Linux distributions for like almost fifteen years or so now. And if it's that bad, why would people you know heavily adopt it, right? So I think it's just because like when it, when the early stages of Pulse came out, there were some you know distributions that did it before it was ready to go, and also some uh, distributions were saying that they didn't want to do it because of that experience and all that. So people are having like a similar experience right now with Pipewire. So when we say Pipewire is great and it's a fantastic experience, we are specifically talking about the distributions that have implemented Pipewire in the proper way with the full configuration and optimizations, which I'm only aware of. Personally, I've only tried Fedora 34 before this, and you're saying that Garuda Linux also has this as well. And... So that they have put in the effort to make sure that Pipewire is as good as it can be versus other distributions who, well, let's just say not all distributions are created equal in this particular mm -hmm. case. 
You know, some cases this is a good thing for innovation and all sorts of stuff, but in other cases, you know, it creates issues like this pipe wire problem. So, well, is it what is what is it that's causing that that the other iteration? Because I see our chats going crazy. People are like, "Hey, I use Garuda, one click, I reboot, it works amazing. I use Manjaro, one click, reboot, it works mm-hmm. amazing." Is what are what is happening in the other distros that they're doing it so wrong? Right. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Manjaro because Manjaro has this. It's, it's very well done on Manjaro on the uh, the average user level, but it's not optimized for the pro user side, and uh, so it doesn't have as you know clean latency and sort of stuff like that. Whereas on Fedora, both sides are addressed, and that's and and it's because there's a lot of configuration. It's a very complex tool. It's a, it's it basically is replacing Pulse, but also allowing it to be way more valuable. And it, and also Pipewire does uh, video streams as well, so it's a very complex, uh, awesome interface. But you know the biggest issue is that distributions don't roll Pipewire fast enough, and that's yeah they're on older versions. <laughs> yes, like Debian and Ubuntu have very older versions of Pipewire, as as if you try to use it now. Uh, even in the like unstable version of Debian, you're still having an older version of Pipewire. And the problem with that is that uh, Pipewire's um, va- like the vast majority of the value of it is from the latest like last three or four versions or so, because uh, Pipewire has been d- making a ton of great progress. But the most valuable aspects of it is the current versions that those distros do not have. So when people install Pipewire and try it out on those distros they're going to have a bad problem because they're going to be using a version that's not ready for them to use. So when so people... what about the next version of Ubuntu drops? Is it going to have the latest version of Pipewire then? Another good question. I don't know for sure, but okay. I have talked to some developers with Ubuntu and they said that they are working on making it for the next version to have a test run with having a Pipewire. Now, we don't know like how you know full-blown implementation they're going to be doing or whatever, but... And also, we don't know how long, you know, if it's just a test run or whatever, but there is some work towards that path. Uh, but there's also other distros who are working on it. And I think that, you know, if, if as fast as possible, I think it's it needs to be, you know, tr- everybody needs to have this in the distribution as, as most up to date as possible. It needs to have like exceptions to the freeze stuff and all that because it is such a good package that I don't want to have the same result that pulse did because pulse people were doing the exact kind of the exact same kind of thing where they were trying pulse on their particular distro that didn't have the latest version or the latest optimizations and whatnot and the same is happening for pipewire so i've seen comments on the live chat right now i've seen comments on the yesterday's twill where people were having bad experiences with it even saying that firefox and pipewire weren't working together and and as someone who uses firefox all the time and pipewire all the time they do work just fine. It's the implementation of whatever distro you're using that creates these kinds of issues. And I just wanted to make that clear because people, when we Someone talk may about switch to it yes. and then they have a bad experience because their distro may have an older version of it, that type of thing. So keep that right. in mind. Here's why I love this. This is why this is such an important topic to me. When I look at Linux and dominating the desktop market, I talk a lot about the fact that we've come so far in gaming. I mean, we, we are, we've, absolutely stomped apple into the ground when it comes to gaming (laughs) 
we are very close on Windows Heal. <laughs> now you've got this audio thing. Audio production is huge. People love it as a hobby. People want to do it professionally. It's their career goals. And having professional audio on Linux is super important, I think, to dominating the desktop. And this is another area where Apple is so weak. And it it drove me crazy when I did 30 Days of Apple, which is on my channel. I did yeah. that that you can't capture your desktop audio without a special package that you install on top of it to create, because they don't create a channel for that. Apple does not have yeah. that by default, but people love using <laughs> Apple for audio. For some reason, you get this $3,000 machine and you're going to have to go buy another $100 piece of software just to capture your desktop audio. It's craziness. So I think we could totally dominate in this area too. And Jack has allowed us to do that, but it was too steep a learning curve. You got to learn mm -hmm. all of Linux if you're coming from Windows, which you know is is becoming easier and easier, but it's still a huge hurdle. And then you've got to learn this whole Jack system and all of these interconnections and weird wire. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I think this is a huge gain for Linux to be able to dominate in the professional audio market. And it starts with Pipewire. So if you're looking for a project to get involved with, whether it be documentation, whether it be reviewing code for bugs, mm -hmm. whether it be installing Pipewire and reporting bugs, this would be a good one to get involved in because I think it's a huge deal for Linux. Yeah, absolutely. And also yeah. just real quick, if you want to try out Pipewire and give it a fair shake, then try it out in Fedora 34 or in Garuda Linux. So, so that basically you can see, you know, how cool Pipewire actually is versus whatever version you might have now. So, and also once you do see how cool Pipewire is, then go back to the team behind the distro you want to use or whatever, and ask them to bring it to their users because Pipewire needs to be everywhere and the latest versions need to be everywhere, not just then packaged having that name because it is, a, it is significantly different depending on the version <laughs> you have. Yeah, you know, Jack was so ahead of its time. I had used it years ago to set up uh, um, synthesizers with MIDI. So that was my first time dealing with it. But I knew then, wow, this is really, really powerful, being able to send my output and input to, you know, hundreds of devices at the same time. It was very ahead of its time. So now Pipewire is just so much easier to use. You know, we, we went through those training rails with Jack for all these years, and now we have something that's easy to use that will give you that power and control all of all your audio. Yeah, that's very important. And what's really cool about it is that there were distributions that were specifically designed to make it easier to use Jack. That's how Jack, yes. that's how powerful and complicated Jack is. A bunch of studio. <laughs> yeah, and also Fedora Jam and AV Linux. Yeah. All, there's multiple yeah. distributions for the purpose of making that easier. And now with Pipewire, <laughs> once it's fully out in the ecosystem, we would just have that by default. And that is the most exciting to me about Pipewire. There's so much value here, and I want every distro to implement it so that every user can enjoy it. You did mention something, though, Michael. I just got to give them another shout-out. Ubuntu Studio... I love that distro. Like mm -hmm. the fact that that existed to make audio and mm -hmm. Linux accessible when I mm -hmm. first started in Linux and I was like 
doing these YouTube videos and I was trying to figure out audio and Linux and they had all the tools right there set up for me. Yeah. I appreciate the work they've done so much. So yeah, shout out to them, but check out Pipewire, everyone. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. It's just, it takes it to a whole new level. You're going to love it. Provided you get on these particular distros. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it, it's even a huger jump from when we went from OS to Elsa. Remember those days? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh. I don't, but I can't imagine because I don't even like logging into Ulsa where you've got this weird little graph thing and you got to... And there's and every single piece of <laughs> your audio is, is, is a thousand different entries and stuff. Yeah, good luck with that. I don't get it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. No. This, this is definitely an improvement. <laughs> and also something going to be an improvement to your life is getting <laughs> Bitwarden. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. So get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, and it is that is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides these tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do that. And for businesses and companies and that sort of stuff, you know, one of the big challenges for companies is to have their employees have good you know, password hygiene and have good security for their passwords. And let's face it, not a lot of people do it the right way in you know, big companies and, that, and corporations and that sort of stuff. So Bitwarden makes it possible so that you can have your employees have an account where they get a personal account and also can be added to organizational vaults to be able to share passwords back and forth. And it's just a fantastic experience, especially on the company side where you can, you know, specify, you know, you can actually customize the features that are offered to individual employees and whatnot to enhance their experience on Bitwarden. And you can do all of this with access across multiple different types of devices like your web browser, your mobile apps, desktop applications, and even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption so it is encrypted before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But I think you'll also want to check out the premium account because there is so much great stuff there. There's there's the one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more, including uh, easy, easier access for like emergency access and that sort of stuff. There's tons of great features with Bitwarden. And in addition, it's only $1. Actually, no, it's less than a dollar per month. <laughs> Take my it, money. You can get yeah. it for $10 per <laughs> year, and you can get your own Bitwarden account. And you can also get uh, business accounts, enterprise accounts, or even a custom family account where you can share it with your spouse and your kids and that sort of stuff. So go to bitwarden.com slash to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. This week, we're back with a segment everyone universally <laughs> adores, and that's Jill's Treasure Hunt. We're going to head into Jill's Museum of Computers and Gadgets and show you something extraordinary that she has handpicked and selected to show you. This week, we tasked Jill with finding something here in the museum that has history related to audio. So Jill, what treasure did you find? Okay, so this time I'm going to show you one of my favorite audio com computer peripherals in my collection, which is also very rare. So this time it's a peripheral instead of a full computer, but that's oh, cool because I have a lot of I have a lot of unique peripherals. So this <laughs> is my favorite keyboard in my collection. This is the Intergraph keyboard with integrated speakers. 
Interesting. The, yes. So this is their very first one, and they came out with several mo- models later, but none sounded as good. And just a little uh, background, Intergraph is actually uh, short for Interactive Graphics. And uh, Intergraph computers were high-end graphics workstations built in the 1980s and 1990s. And these nice nice keyboards accompanied them, especially their their uh first workstations. And I have an Intergraph computer as well that goes with this. But I use this keyboard on uh, another favorite computer, which I'm going to reveal in Treasure Hunt in the future. (laughs) So what are some of the things you can do with this keyboard? Okay. So the the big deal, one of the big deals about this keyboard, it has an Altec Lansing speaker system in it. That's pretty nice for a keyboard. Yes. Considering and, I've never seen a keyboard with speakers in them. So Yes. So in you know, I've 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 in and in my search to find the best sounding keyboards with speakers, I started collecting, you know, the these unique devices. And I'm always excited by computer hardware that is space saving and combines functionality of several devices in one peripherals. In this case, saving space on the desktop by having speakers integrated right into the keyboard. That is very interesting. <laughs> I've so never cool. heard anyone do that. That's pretty interesting. It's kind yeah. of genius. It is. And and there are several companies that made keyboards with speakers built in over the years, but most sounded tinny and cheap and they were horrible. But anyways, there are some very special things about this one. Like I said, it's got an Altec Lansing speaker system in it. And... The Altec Lansing speaker systems for computers from the 80s and 90s were some of the best sounding speakers literally ever made. I am still using 2.1 surround systems wow. that I have hooked up to my main rig right here. And it rocks the house. What kind it of just, music it, do you it, listen it rocks to, the Jill, house. that rocks and the house? I kind of don't feel like you listen <laughs> to music that rocks the house. <laughs> I do, actually. Okay. I like a little bit of, of house music right. and industrial. <laughs> Nice. But but uh, what's awesome is my system I have hooked up to the computer has two large wooden subwoofers, which, you know, shake the house. And even my next door neighbors wondered why they were hearing the sounds of gunshots when I was playing Half-Life 2. <laughs> <laughs> and you can actually hear the bullets and the shells hit the floor. That's it, awesome. Really amazing. And this Intergraph keyboard uh, with speakers, it is no slouch. It packs a punch. And something else unique about this is that you can actually hook up a subwoofer to it. It's that good. (laughs) Wow. So it has a connection for a sub? Yes. It's got a connection for the sub on the side there. They don't make stuff like this anymore, Michael. Like, why why don't we have this anymore? (laughs) Yeah, that's yes. crazy. <laughs> and, you know, the it, what's really cool also is that it has uh, the onboard sound amplifier is actually powered by the older AT port. So that, that will show its a- age. <laughs> you know, this was uh, made in the 80s. I'm trying to get, I am sorry, my cables are stuck. <laughs> At least it has a very long cord. Yes. You know? Oh, That's does. something you don't see very often anymore. Now, now you'll get these keyboards you get, and it's got like a foot cable. I'm like, what are you using this with? Oh, this this <laughs> is uh, at least eight feet. It's amazing. Lots of cords. 
That's a lot of connections. Okay, yes. maybe now I know why they don't make this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's got your your standard, you know, uh, headphone out from from for your sound card and your mic, and it's got an onboard mic as well. And then here's the old AT connector, and the AT connector actually powers the amplifier, which is you know like what USB speakers do today. <laughs> So that was ahead of its time, but I also have a PS2 connector that you could get for it later after market when uh, PS2 became the standard nice. <laughs> on computers, but you still have to have it hooked up, up to an AT port to power it. <laughs> so it's wow. just, yeah, it's really amazing. And now, Jill, I did see there's a ton of knobs at the top of that. I assume, yes. obviously, one's a volume control, but is it an equalizer there with trouble bass, or what do the other knobs do on that? No, tenor? so good you ask. So it's it's it doesn't have an equalizer on it. Frankly, it doesn't need one. <laughs> so it sounds wow. so, so good. It's got what's really cool is a stereo switch um, that you can also change to SRS. 3D stereo. Ooh, you remember when that was the th a thing? And back wow. then, a lot of a lot of the devices came with that technology. But it's actually really good. It's called the Sound Retrieval System 3D Audio Processing Technology, and it really does make a difference in the sound quality. And it does a really good job at making it surround sound just through these two speakers. And, and I assume this is all software <laughs> agnostic, meaning it doesn't matter what operating Correct. system you plug it in once you hit that switch it's applying those effects yeah which is the speakers right there which is really nice because some of the other uh, speaker keyboards that came out later you had to have windows to use them because they were you know the wind sound driver <laughs> but yeah so oh and it has a nice volume control which i always have loved and an onboard mic and an awesome clicky keyboard Honestly, this is my favorite keyboard in my collection because it, you know, it it, it functions with has several fun, uh, Looks functions. Looks like that on old it. IBM clicky keyboard. Yeah, it like does the Model M. The Model M. Yeah. It's yeah. very similar, actually. It has a very similar feel to the Model M. Interesting. And I actually uh, got another one of these. I found one on eBay. It's in a bit bad of shape, but it does work. And these, the last one I saw sold on eBay sold for like $300. Mm. Wow. <laughs> What's funny is that we got rare. some, we got some comments in the chat asking people asking you to click the keys so they can hear what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really loud clicky, but you know, it's good membrane clicky. It's very satisfying. Nice. Since we have so many hardware manufacturers <laughs> watch this show, uh, you know, DOS keyboard, whoever is watching they need to work with Jill. Make a new version of <laughs> yes. this. We'll call it. Yes. We'll call it something related to Jill. You're going to make millions. They need to bring this thing back. Yes. Ellen. Well, speaking of which, they made another version, uh, uh, second generation, which I have and I can show. And that doesn't isn't powered by the AT port. It's it's got a wall wart. <laughs> But it doesn't sound near as good. And you can't <laughs> hook a subwoofer to it. I'll show you that right now. <laughs> so is that this the original one, box in there too yep, you're showing? This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the newer version of, of my original. And this is the Maxi Sound uh, multimedia keyboard with speakers. You know, it does sound good, but it's just it, not near the quality. Uh, this one has bigger tweeters in it and woofer. 
I like how you were holding it like a missile launcher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the neat thing about my original inner graph is, you know, you don't have to have a subwoofer hooked to it to get bass. The speakers do just the, just fine with the bass. (laughs) But it it does enhance the rumble. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing because that's one of the big problems with speakers even today. Yes. But 30 years later, we yeah. can't get good lows on our speakers. So this is <laughs> new inbox. <laughs> wow. It's, it's still a new inbox. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what makes key. that keyboard unique in your mind? Besides the speakers built in, it was it was the predecessor, but they didn't quite do it as well. But why haven't yeah. you taken out of the box? That makes me think you're acting like Michael, who gets boxes <laughs> and, stuff and never takes it out. I just well, assume she the... put it back in after using it. <laughs> here's the nice thing about this one. This one uses PS2 port. <laughs> it uses the PS2 port. And uh, you can actually use it with a, a USB dongle. So I can hook this one up to modern computers. Oh, nice. So that's the advantage. I tested it with a um, a USB converter, which I have here. I had to get an active USB, uh, PS2 to USB converter. Nice. That's, <laughs> but re- that's that definitely a set it, set it apart kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you could I, got a question. I got a question, Jill. Can you, on your other keyboard that you already converted to ps2 can you now do a third conversion yeah with the usb on it i i tried that and no because it oh. has to be powered by the at port uh. <laughs> and that's that's why whereas Ooh, what if they the, have like this... a, a, a battery bank at port yeah. external yeah. thing we should try yeah. <laughs> so the second version of it you know, it, it's not powered by the ports on the computer. It has, a, you know, the separate wall wart or dongle. So you can plug plug that in without having it to use any, any uh, computer uh, connectors for power. <laughs> so that's the nice thing about this one. And it still sounds darn good. It's just not as rocking <laughs> as my original. Not as rocking the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, one of my favorite things to do with uh, my original one is, you know, I, the computer I have dedicated to this is just for playing music. And I also enjoy hearing the music from the BB ASCII art demo on it. AA Live for the win. The ASCII art demos are awesome. And I, I like to just have the music going on in the background playing. On That's it. awesome. That is really cool. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I, I say this every time, but I really mean it. I love that you enjoy <laughs> the older pieces of technology they don't just sit on a shelf to show off but you use them and play with yes. them and enjoy them and they're still relevant today heck i want that technology today in a keyboard i just yeah. think that would be amazing i've got the room for it i want my speakers built in right there and okay. a really nice amp yes well speaking of which i can show you a newer one that you can do just that with oh <laughs> all right i i have to ask real quick you know, Ryan, Ryan, you mentioned how she she's you love the fact that she not only just has the stuff, but also uses it. I wonder, is the treasure hunt an excuse for you to play with more stuff? Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but no, this is all everything I've covered in the treasure hunt and and probably will for many years from now is all stuff that I already have and use. It's going to be a while before I have. have Notice that. she said years. Years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this one is a USB um, um, speaker keyboard with a USB 
sound card in it and it works beautifully in Linux. And um, it, the sound is actually quite good. It even has a little bass boost on it. <laughs> Who makes this particular keyboard? This is verbatim, but they don't make it anymore. And it is another one that's hard to find. So if you do, you know, grab it. Originally, oh gosh, I actually have two of these because I use them. And originally it was like uh, um, $150. And then I found one on eBay used for 60 and they have two variants of it, a Mac version and a PC version with the you know Mac uh, keyboard layout. But this, of course, is the PC one. It, it, it does a good job, too. It's, it's actually got little Altec Lansings in it, but they're not, not as, quite as good as the second generation Intergraph one I showed you or, or my first. But it's still, there's still high quality speakers that sound better than most desktop, you know, standard desktop speakers. Nice. In general, what are the years for the three we saw? The first one came out in what year around? Uh, 80, yeah, it would be um, like 89, 90. 89, 90. And then the second one? Um, is like 95, 96, 97. Somewhere around there. And yeah. this one here came out? This one was um, early 2000s when USB early. was. It was So it's, it's fairly new. all these generations. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and in fact, this one is USB 1.1. It's not even 2.0. So that was before that came out. <laughs> Absolutely amazing, Jill. I love the treasure hunt. It just fascinates me. I didn't even know this was a thing. And I, yeah. <laughs> I call myself a hardware addict, but I never saw these. So they're, awesome. they're, they're hard to find and, and unique. And again, there are a lot of cheap ones out there. You'll find on eBay. There's one um, that's out now that was so horrible that I just put it back in the box. <laughs> you know, the sound <laughs> quality, you know, it's, it's just really tiny because they got worse and worse. You know, this, the, the, the early 2000s were kind of the last of these keyboards that sounded good. <laughs> well, it's pretty cool. Maybe that someday this model will make a new version of that because that does sound like a really interesting method. Because I I, I yes. have keep I have speakers on my desk that are not the best speakers at all. So to have like a high quality in the keyboard would be awesome. Yeah. Or maybe like an it's, attachment or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just space saving and 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 cool and the fact that it. You know, this particularly this original one sounds so good. Yeah, it, it's it's just wonderful. I actually played Portal <laughs> with this original keyboard. Nice, nice. And thumped the floor with the the subwoofer that came with it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you for the free admission tickets into your museum, Jill. <laughs> and we're gonna have you back on for who knows what for many years to come. Yes. <laughs> museum treasure hunt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, and this is a really fun gaming pick. If you're looking for a role-playing game that is focused on the story, has easy character creation, and is great for new users to the genre, look no further than Wilder Myth. <laughs> and I like that name. That is a fun name. <laughs> it really is. And on Steam, the game describes itself like this. Wilder Myth follows heroes over their whole careers, from the pitchfork days to their powerful primes and on into old age and memory. It's a party-based procedural storytelling RPG where tactical combat and story decisions will alter your world and reshape your cast of characters. And it's got a beautiful art style. It's got this uh, pop-up book, 2D paper, gra paper, graph, paper craft 
animation art style. I just and love this just animation. Beautiful. When yeah. I when I was looking at it at first, mm -hmm. I was like, eh. And then I realized they're kind of replicating the D&D tabletop. I mean, that's the concept exactly. behind yeah. this game. And when you see it, it's almost if you've played the um, what do they call it? The environments and things they create actual for tabletop games, the different maps and they have mountains. And it almost looks like you're moving the characters around one of those actual yeah. physical maps that you would have uh, in a live RPG tabletop game. And I kind of fell in love with it. I dig yeah. it. Yeah. And it is, you know, the, the characters are, are, are neat because they're 2d against a 3d world. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. That does give you that, that, that feel that you're actually playing a D and D game live, you know, with people. So that it's really cool. And the, the storytelling voiceovers are fun, engaging. And actually I love the Celtic music. It's got yes. beautiful Celtic music. And, you know, like a tabletop RPG, your choices in the game have consequences. <laughs> and the procedural generation means there are many options for playing this game over and over and over again. And this is one of my favorite things about this game was the character progression. It's amazing. And, and to me, you feel like you're, you're the dungeon master in a Dungeons and Dragons game you are creating. And it's just, it's a lot, was a lot of fun. And it has 51,000 overwhelming positive views. No, 5,100. <laughs> Sorry. Well, listen, you were just looking into the future and knew a year yeah. from now would be 51,000. Yeah. But yeah, 5,100 nice. is no small yeah. task. Overwhelmingly <laughs> positive reviews. Yeah. And it runs natively on Linux. Yes. And it has co-op. So you mm -hmm. can go in the story mode, me, you, Michael, we could all do like a little story thing here. That this game's so just looking cool. I, I love that you pulled out the soundtrack, but also I really enjoyed the storytelling voices because yes. that's a big part. When you have a good dungeon master with a tabletop game, uh -huh. it's all about bringing you into that story. And in a voiceover yeah. mode, trying to replicate that here, the voiceovers are just really solid here. The voice actors are awesome. And I think, you know, it's actually $24.99 on Steam, which is honestly a great price because you'll get hundreds of hours of of gameplay with this game with new characters and playing with your friends. So it, it can go on forever. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting it's, that y'all mentioned this. Cause you, when you, when I looked it up and like viewed, like check out the video and you were talking about the, the style and stuff and the animations, I just looked at the, like the images originally. So I was, while yeah. you were talking, I was like, I'm going to look at the animation, see what it's like. <laughs> and it is adorably silly and like it looks, it looks great, but at the same time, silly on purpose. With the animations, are like they look super jank, but it looks yeah. like someone's grabbing a like a, a paper craft character and then like hitting things with it. It's yes, such, it's so it's like so, you're playing with your He-Man figures. Yes, or exactly. Yeah. It's so good. And it's got unique characters that aren't standard to Dungeons and Dragons. Like there's this one called Telepathic Insect Dragon. <laughs> that you battle with and a tentacled <laughs> horror bearer. <laughs> nice. Sound like things in nightmares. I love yes. it. Yes. So, and you will everyone will love enjoy that game, especially if you're new to the are are new to the role-playing game genre. This is a good one to get started with. <laughs> and Steam Summer Sale. So go pick yeah. it up if you're interested. Yeah. It's going on to through July 8th. And you can actually pick up a lot of the games we feature here here and play on DLN for a great price. Yeah. Our software spotlight this week is D Beaver. 
So this is a free multi-platform database tool for developers, data, uh, database administrators, analysts, and anyone who needs to work with databases. So it supports all, all the popular databases, or, so like MySQL, Postgres, uh, SQLite, Oracle, DB2, SQL Server, um, MS Access if you need to, a Firebird, Apache Hive, Phoenix, Presto, so much more. Uh, all of those as well. And I, we wanted to talk about this because I saw Ryan made a comment on social media, basically giving a big shout out to the Beaver project. So what's the story there, Ryan? They kind of saved my butt with this project, which is why I really wanted to give them a spotlight because I was setting up a Postgres database and PG Admin 4 was giving me all kinds of issues on multiple distros. It didn't matter if I was in Fedora, it didn't matter if I was in Arch, it just wasn't coming up or it was giving random errors. There, there's, there's some issue, there's a bunch of bug reports out there for certain issues not working with this. And apparently every time PG Admin does a new release, this kind of stuff can happen. And it was just so frustrating and I couldn't spend the time I needed just messing with the Postgres database. That's, I just wanted to connect and start writing some queries and get what I needed done but I couldn't because I was spending all my time troubleshooting PG admin. And so I just started looking randomly. What is another tool I can use to get connected do my querying? And dBeaver came up and it was super simple to set up, very intuitive interface, connected immediately, got to do my query work, and you can do it across multiple databases. When we talk about jobs right now, being a data analyst is probably one of the top five hottest jobs out there because think about it. Every company out there is collecting data, whether we like it or not. It's just a fact. And they've got to figure <laughs> out how to manage that big data. And so taking the time to learn some of these query languages like this, I think is a really important step if it's something of interest to you, something you want to learn. Um, but being able to, of course, have a nice interface with that so you can write those queries and start learning is very important. Um, a lot of the SQL languages are very similar. They just have a couple of syntax changes between, say, uh, SQL and um, MySQL and PostgreSQL. And there's just once you learn one, you can pretty much switch to another pretty easily. Uh, so it's a pretty valuable thing to learn. The Beaver made it really simple. Love the project. Really thank them for the tool because I was able to get what I needed done very quickly. That's awesome. So for our tip and trick of the week, we've provided so many tips in the past about Raspberry Pis. We've promoted this incredible tool, these little mini computers, single board computers that you can get your hands on for what? I think the lowest one's maybe $10, $5. I think it's $5. Like Five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's insane. And you can do so many things with them. I have three running in this room right now. One is an Octopi, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I'm becoming more and more reliable on these Raspberry Pis and them not failing. I have a Pi hole set up, for instance, and if that goes down, that could cause issues with the internet and other things because everything's routing through that device. And so I want to create a backup image of the SD cards that I have there in case something goes wrong. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk you through in the show today is how to make a backup image of your full SD card. So the first thing you're going to do is take your SD card out of your Raspberry Pi, the one that you're wanting to copy. And before you insert your SD card into your PC, this is a really kind of life hack cheat, I think, too, so mm -hmm. you can find out exactly what the drive is. Just go ahead and type DF in your terminal. It's going to list out all the drives that you have right there, or you can use fdisk-l if you want to use that command instead. 
but just do a DF. It's going to list out your drives, then put your SD card into your computer, whether you're using the USB slot to connect it, or if your laptop has one built in and run that command again. And then you're going to see what drives it kicks out for that SD card. It's a good tip because you're showing the difference mm-hmm. between not having it and having it. So you easily can tell which one is which. Yeah, exactly. That's great, Ryan. <laughs> so you're probably going to see something like a slash dev slash MMC BLK01 and A02. Now, if you don't see any changes when you put that SD card in for some reason, I noticed in certain distros that if I interacted with the SD card in the file manager, it would pop up suddenly. And when I ran DF, it would show up there. I don't know what was triggering that, but just a little tip. If you put your SD card in and you run DF and nothing changes, go into your file manager, whatever it's Dolphin or whatever, and just click on the SD card there, run DF again, and you'll see it pop up. Um, and then you're just going to run this command. And we'll have this in the show notes because it's pretty hard unless you're going to pull over real quick listening to the podcast and write this down. But sudo <laughs> dd, uh, and it's bs equals 4m, and then space if equals slash dev slash, and then you're going to use the name of that drive you, na- you, you found. So the MMC BLK zero. You're not going to put the one. You're not going to put the two. You're just going to go up to the point where it says zero. So when you list out your new drive, again, you're going to see slash dev slash MMC BLK zero one and zero two. You're going to leave the one and two off in that command right there. And then of equals and whatever you want to name the image. So you have mypy.image there. And again, this will all be in the show notes because it's very hard to verbalize. But essentially, once you've replaced that, you're making a full backup, uncompressed of that drive. So if you put 128 gigabyte SD card in there, it's going to copy exactly mm-hmm. 128 gigabytes uh, of a exact image of it uh, on your drive. And you could compress that afterwards, but that will get you your drive copied exactly as it is. And I did this with my Octopi. I, I risked ruining it just to make sure <laughs> the instructions we were giving you here were perfect and overwrote that SD card with Aww. this command, put it back in. <laughs> It had a perfect image. My Octopi print was right back up and running immediately. So just something in case of corruption or loss on an SD card, you have a full image backup to get your Raspberry Pi back in business. All right. So a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And if you want to become a patron like all these amazing people here with us behind the scenes in our 650,000 square foot virtual stadium, You can do that by going to Patreon or Sponsors, and you get VIP access to the events, live recordings, Destination Linux every Sunday, and get to be behind the scenes for that. And you come and hang out with the show in the patron after show chat. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we are live at dealinlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited. All of you can come and listen to the recording of Destination Linux every week. You can watch me have mic problems, which is why all of a sudden I sound normal again, whereas <laughs> half of the show I sounded terrible yep. because I need an XLR mic and thanks to my wife for running the store and getting one. But all of that kind of shenanigans and craziness happens <laughs> behind the scenes as we're recording the show live with all of you. Yeah, and also go to dealinstore.com. You're not going to be able to find XLR cables there, but you can pick up all sorts of other stuff. You can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, uh, stickers, uh, hats, uh, backpacks, all sorts of great stuff, even water bottles and tons more. So check it out. Go to dealinstore.com to get all of the awesome swag for the DLN network. Make sure to check out all our amazing shows here on the Destination Linux network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, this week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, woohoo! <laughs> DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, 
Gamesphere and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all our wonderful shows to keep these penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye. We did it. (laughs) Yay. Mic problems. All right, patrons, turn on your mics, turn on your cameras. Come hang out with us, ma'am. We did it.